It's your Tuesday, Daily Delivery. Welcome. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. A lot to get to on today's show. Um, glad to bring you Lavelle E. Neal III, Star Tribune columnist. He'll join me here in just a little bit talking Vikings and Twins. Um, Lavelle had a good column over the weekend that touched on both of those things, including five Vikings players that he would um, cut ties with if he was the Vikings. And it's, it's a good list. It gets us into some salary cap stuff. It gets us into some philosophical stuff. So I wanted to talk talk through that with Lavelle further. Also get Lavelle's thoughts on the big Luis Arias trade over the weekend. Twins made another move, by the way. I talked to Lavelle on... Uh, it was Monday late morning, and then, of course, um, later Monday, the Twins made another move, um, making a trade for an outfielder, Michael A. Taylor from Kansas City. So I'll I'll bring that up a little bit later, too, as well, to get into what the implications of that are. Got to get to the Wolves at the end of the show. I know maybe some of you guys are, are, are tired of the Wolves. It's funny. I got, I've got the last two reviews of this podcast on, uh, on, on Apple Podcasts, one of them. Uh, both of them actually uh, discuss how much I talk about the Wolves. One of them uh, talks about how they would listen more if the teams in this market were more successful. Sorry about that. I've got no control over the latter. I've got some control over the former, but you know what? The Wolves are interesting right now. They're not just interesting to me. I think they're interesting to a fair amount of people, but it is good feedback to know what you guys are listening to. I'm probably going to be doing a survey here, a longer survey of kind of some bigger thoughts on the show. I'll let you guys know when that's out, and maybe you guys can help me out with some fine-tuning that I'm doing as we're approaching two years of daily delivery in about a week, and we hit that 500-show milestone uh, a little while ago. So uh, just some some stuff to look out for in the future. Um, and Vikings uh, interviewed a defensive coordinator candidate. They've got a few others to get to, so that... Uh, I'll get to that at the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? I want to start with WNBA free agency because I think it's a fascinating thing that's uh, that's going on right now. Complicated, complex in some regards, and not complicated in others. The big centerpiece of free agency this year could be Brianna Stewart, the excellent player for uh, for the Seattle Storm. The Lynx are one of four teams that she is prepared to meet with this week. Um, as she explores her free agency, that would be a huge get for the Lynx, who have a little over $500,000 in salary cap room to work with. Now, that's uh, that might not sound like a lot if you aren't too familiar with the WNBA, but the salary cap for the WNBA is only $1.42 million. So they've got over a third of their cap space open right now to go sign some new players to revamp that roster. So... That's a complicated thing, though, because uh, ESPN reporting that sh- uh, that Brianna Stewart's making charter air travel a big piece of her free agency, and this is where it gets really interesting. Now, uh, reading from the story, it's that you know private air travel is becoming a big issue. It has been a big issue in the WNBA for the past few years. Teams in the WNBA and now players in the WNBA right now fly commercial as opposed to almost every other sport, including the NBA, where they fly charter. It's a much more, uh, it's a much better experience. You have obviously much more control over when you fly. It is a much more comfortable experience. And these are athletes, of course, that are, you know, expending a tremendous amount of energy trying to fine-tune their bodies to be in the in peak optimal shape to, to play. Um, and so complicating matters this year is that Brittany Griner, obviously, who went through that um, – 
unspeakable ordeal where she was in a Russian prison for several months. She might have to fly privately this year because of security reasons. And if she does, what does that mean for the rest of the league? Now, it sounds like Brianna Stewart is making this a big piece of her free agency, trying to get uh, trying to get this to the forefront of the conversation. She tweeted the other day, I would love to be part of a deal that helps subsidize charter travel for the entire WNBA. I would contribute my contribute my NIL, name, image, and likeness, stuff like that, to ensure we travel in a way that prioritizes player health and safety, which ultimately results in a better product. Who's with me? A lot of people are. That tweet's got thousands of likes. Um, the complicating part is this. Teams can't just decide if they want to fly charter if other teams don't. I mean, they, they kind of can, but um, the New York Liberty, for instance, reading from this story, you know that's one of four teams that she's considering in free agency. They were fined half a million dollars for chartering flights last season. Um, so if, basically the rule right now is that if one team does it, even if they can afford it, that's not okay because it has to be a league-wide rule. Now, you're saying, well, what's the big deal? Why don't they let them do it? Why don't why don't they why don't they make this a league wide policy, or at least let teams who can afford it do it? I'm I'm on board with the first part. The, the other part is tricky though, because it says chartering flights for the entire for all teams would cost about thirty million dollars. There's twenty. Or, I'm sorry. There's twelve teams in the WNBA. Thirty million dollars means two point five million dollars per team. Now, in the big picture of pro sports, that's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, millions of dollars sure sounds like a big deal. But in, you know, in, in the big, more established sports that have been around longer than the WNBA, even though that's an established league, um, that's, that maybe wouldn't be as big of a deal. In the WNBA, like I said, the salary cap is $1.4 million. You're talking about $2.5 million to travel. You're talking about basically twice the travel cost that you'd be, playing, that you'd be paying in player salaries. So I'm sure that is where the sticking point is. It's got to be a financial question for the league. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm saying... That becomes the complication, right? Where do you where do you say this is worth it versus giving the money to the players, doing doing something else with this money as it starts to grow in this league? Regardless, it is fascinating. Where Brianna Stewart winds up is fascinating. The Lynx in the mix. The Lynx have a lot of work to do on their roster. So watch that as WNBA free agency unfolds this week. Negotiations started earlier this week. Where will Brianna Stewart wind up? Where will the, the, the Lynx wind up with their free agency? They've got a lot of different plans, according to Kent Youngblood, reading that from his story, StarTribune.com. Whatever happens, I'm sure the Lynx will wind up in a good spot because they've been, they've been able to get pretty good players because of the past, because of Cheryl Reeve. Um, but, you know, big picture, where is this league headed? Where, where, is, where is the future of travel in this league? They've fought for a lot of different things. This is one that's still a sticking point. Will anything be resolved this offseason? Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, let's welcome in Lavelle Enil III right now, columnist for the Star Tribune. Um, Lavelle, you wrote something interesting over the weekend. I mean, you write something interesting all the time, but a particular interest over the weekend. Um, your 3-2 pitch was about both the Vikings and Luis Arise. Those are two things I want to talk about with you 
today. Um, maybe we'll start with Arias. Um, I talked with Royce about it quite a bit Monday already, but obviously you covered this team for a couple of decades and you've observed it closely even ever since then. What's your uh, give give me your your take on on the trade and and your thoughts on whether you like it or not? Uh, I'm gonna give myself time to 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 like it. Uh, I don't dislike it. Um, I just think that the Twins have traded a lot away a lot of assets for guys who are not considered to be legitimate aces. Um, okay, prospect yeah. prospect um, assets and and what have you. Over the last few years, you know, Sonny Gray, Tyler Molly, Chris Paddock. Uh, well, Paddock wasn't that much of a, that was more Taylor Rogers. Um, but, you know, this trade here, and I, I just, I if, if I'm going to trade someone like Luis Arias, I'm hoping it's a package that includes a guy with a little more of a track record. But I will say this, the more that I read about Pablo Lopez, the more I like him. Yeah. Um, you know, Bud Black, the Rockies manager, said he might have the best changeup in baseball. And his numbers are training in the right direction. He's leaving a ratty um, Marlins offense to play in a – should be a better offense with the Twins. Uh, that should help him. And, you know, listening to him in the interview on Friday, uh, he's very committed. Uh, he's focused. He's prepared. Um, he likes all the information he could possibly have before he pitches. Um, it looks like he's got a desire, you know, to be the best. So, um, I just think for this twins lineup, that has a lot of swing and miss guys in it. Arias is a great change of pace. A guh yes. can put the bat on the ball, uh, work the count, have those seven, eight, nine pitch at bats, um, get on base and make things happen that way. Um, he also seems to be one of the few guys who in the clutch, you, you, you have a good feeling that he's going to get a hit. Yeah. Um, which comes into play in the postseason and when you're trying to win the division. So they're losing they're losing a, a guy with talent and makeup that uh, that troubles me a little bit about this deal. But I'm going to give it time to see how it plays out. And like I said, Lopez has on the surface, Lopez looks like a fine addition to to pitching staff. The best way for me to build depth is to bring in someone who's better than everybody else to push them up and push the, the people back down. I think you build depth from pushing on the top of the roster instead yeah. of sliding <laughs> on the bottom. Um, but I think Lopez comes in at the middle, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he fits in. The Twins rotation right now looks like it's pretty doggone deep. It doesn't have top-end ability. Um, you know. But I've said this before. There are years in which number two pitchers pitch like an ace. Like the, sure. year Rick, like the year that Rick Purcello won a Cy Young, you know. So there, there could be years that a number three pitcher pitches like a number two pitcher, you know, and which they've got guys in this lineup, in this rotation that can do that, definitely. Um, Kent Tomato did it in his first year with the Twins in 2020. He almost pitched like an ace, actually. And, yeah, he was, um, like, we used to use number two you know, on the Cy Young that year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Be- was it Beaver? I think it was Beaver. And um, Joe Ryan is 15-9. and nine with a sub four ERA over his first 32 major league starts that bodes well for the future. And you got Lopez and Sonny Gray and Tyler Molly. It's, it's a rotation. It's going to be built for the long haul and it's going to, it's going to make Rocco Baldelli's job a lot easier. So let's just see how this all works out. I got two questions about that. One, do 
did Derek Falvey and Thad Levine just not value <clears throat> what Arias does maybe as much as you and I do in terms of the, the depth of the at-bats and stuff like that? It just it just feels like they've constructed a lineup that doesn't really doesn't really have a lot of guys like that, and he was one of them. Or do you think this is just a case of if you're going to get something, you got to give something up, and that was the piece that other people wanted? Well, I will say this, uh, Mike, having covered the Twins – you know, going back to 1997, I've seen them trade uh, players at their lowest value. Uh, let me. Uh, Aaron Hicks was one. Yeah. Um, Delman Young was another. Um, they've made these moves and have been burned because of them. You know, um, JJ Hardy. <laughs> you know, for God, I forgot about JJ Hardy. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, um, this is a time when they they sold someone when they're. Um, when their um, their value is the highest, they also are concerned about Arise's long term health. This goes back three years. I've been hearing people t- talk to me about that for three years. That one, he has to work out extra hard just to be average in terms of physical fitness. Two, the knee is a good sh- concern. He lost a year of development in the minors because of a torn ACL, and he continues to have problems with that knee. They think as he moves, he already he al- he already is barely barely an adequate first baseman and a slightly below average second baseman. So they think that's training in the wrong direction. So they think Luis Arias in the next three to four years is going to hit a wall and decline. Also, I'm sure people in the, in their analytics department are pointing to the fact that even though he won a batting title, he had a 795 OPS, you know, and a lot of people, and I'm one of them, believe that 800 is like the line of demarcation, you know, that determines the guy's offensive value i think anything over 800 the guy's pretty doggone good despite betting 316 his ops is just at 795 because he's not an extra base home run machine right and I, i'm sure that factored in their decision to just to sell high so this is a, ch- a time this is a case where they sold high and it could work out in the in the long haul now final point then i want to talk to you about some vikings stuff that you wrote um and I talked to Royce about this on Monday. Should we be, I mean, is concerned is maybe the wrong word, but every member of this rotation right now, and even some of the depth pieces like Paddock, if he comes back, were acquired via trade. Um, and this was supposed to be a regime that could develop pitching. And, you know, maybe they're proving more adept at identifying pitching elsewhere and, and targeting that in trades. But um, the fact that, the, that the fact that their entire rotation, you know, Maida, um, Sonny Gray, Malley, uh, Lopez, Paddock. If he comes back, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, even uh, even uh, Joe Ryan was in the was in the Nelson Cruz trade. None of those guys came up with the Twins. They were all getting their starts identified by someone else first. Is that concerning as a long term trend for this regime? Well, I, I think that you know, if you talk to Falvey, he's going to say there's three ways to to. Uh, bolster your pitch staff. One is to develop from within, two is free agency, and three are trades. And, you know, signing good free agent pitching has been difficult through the years with the Twins. We've seen that as they've, you know, finished second or third for like you, Darvish, or Zach Wheeler, or some other guys. Um, I think, um, I think Falvey expected to have his internal development plan be more productive at this point. Uh, it has not, injuries have played a role. Uh, we look at a guy like Bailey Ober. You know, he was drafted and developed by the Twins. He has not thrown 100 innings in the season since he was at the College of Charleston. All right. Josh Winder was progressing nicely. You know, he had a 
uh, injury setbacks. I want to point out that Yohan Duran, you know, was training as a starter, but because he had injury setback, uh, they, they, he did not have the requisite, requisite amount of innings that you can build a starter on. So they decided to make him a closer, and he may be quickly becoming the best closer in baseball. It would have been very intriguing to see Duran if they decide to keep trying to stretch him out to be a, sure. be a starter and what type of impact he would have had. So it has not worked out perfectly. Uh, and, you know, they continue to make trades, you know, um, like Simeon with Richardson. Um, they got two other guys. You know, Louis Barland looks like a guy who could be someone to rely on going forward. Jordan Balazovic was another draft pick that was supposed to probably be impacted in major leagues by now, but he had an injury setback. You know, it drives home the point that someone told me that in order to have three good starting pitching prospects, you need to start with 10 starting pitching prospects yeah. because they're going to get the, they're going to get the double A and flame out. They're going to break down or they end up relievers. Derek Falvey did tell me in front of a live audience at the state fair a few years ago, <laughs> it had to be 2019. Yeah. He said that he was like, what do you think the percentage is of starting pitchers who end up making their major league debut as a reliever? And I was like, I don't know. He said 50%. So half of starting pitching prospects end up as relievers. I was like, wow. You know, so I, we've seen all that in play in years. And there's still time for, for Falvey to start getting some hits here, you know, with the internal development. Because you got guys knocking on the door. And you got decent guys at double A and triple A now. The triple A uh, St. Paul rotation is going to be a monster of guys who, right. you know, who have some major league experience like Garland and Simeon Richardson and probably Winder. And, you know, uh, they're just going to be waiting for their, ch- their, their, their chance here. So uh, it hasn't worked out the way they planned, but you do see some evidence that, you know, they could have some success here down the road. I agree with that. Let's uh, let's shift gears to the Vikings. Now you had um, you had five Vikings that you would cut ties with that you wrote about over the weekend, and obviously salary cap is a piece of this. Um, trying to afford an extension, presumably for Justin Jefferson here, and you know, depending on what they want to do with Kirk Cousins, that's another question. And can they lower that cap number, or do they move on from him at some point? But I'm going to run down the five. You, you said Dalvin Cook. Jordan Hicks, Zadarius Smith, and Adam Thielen, you would cut. And Shannon Sullivan, you would uh, you would uh, not re-sign Shannon Sullivan. I tend to agree with most of these opinions. I'm curious from your standpoint, which one, which one of these five is the easiest and which one of these is the hardest if you're, if you're you or the Vikings making this decision? Well, the thing about this, and I had to do a crash course with Ben Guessing on this to understand – you know, capology. Right. And the thing, the reason why I, I didn't cut more people is because you end up with dead money. Right. And so, you know, in Harrison Smith's case, if you add that on top of the dead money that they're going to get by cutting Thielen, that's like $20 million right there. You know, right. that's not good to carry. You know, that's why I'm saying, I think they're going to be forced to renegotiate with someone. So I'm trying to pick between Harrison and Thielen. And, the Vikings probably need to get faster at that wide receiver position. It'd be great if there's another speed guy to play opposite of Jefferson. Uh, Thielen just isn't that guy right now. And his wife seems to be uh, expecting him to get cut anyway. So that right. kind of encouraged me to to make that move. Uh, so Darius Smith has scrubbed his uh, Instagram account of any Vikings mentions. And I know someone, uh, uh, there's a good, there's a good reliable source that's telling me that it's, 
Zadarius is putting his house in Egan on the market. So he he uh, he's looked like he's planning for the near future as well. So um, Hicks was easy because his cap isn't that bad. Zadarius was easy because his cap it's only like three point three million, I believe. You know, uh, Dalvin was kind of hard. Um, uh, because they could save six point something million. There's a cap hit there, but, you know, and just that he, it looks like he's starting to c- decline. He's hitting a bad spot in the running back's career where, you know, a lot of them do decline, and right, you know, you may want to either fi- find another running back. So the, the the thing that I just want everybody to understand is that the Vikings are in are in cap hell right now. It's yes. going to be bad. There's going to be some combination of these players that are not going to be with the team next year. They're twenty four million over the cap 24 million it's the third worst cap situation in the nfl and that's going to lead to some very very difficult decisions and my column is just one man's opinion how they should go about doing that well yeah and you've got complicated questions with it like you said the jefferson extension that's just only going to add to the cap they've already done a brian o'neill long-term deal i mean dara saw at a certain point yep. as long as he stays healthy he's going to command a lot of money um, and then you've got Cousins looming there, and you, you're suggesting maybe some sort of rework, some sort of extension. I don't, I, I don't like that idea. I think they got to move right. on from Cousins after this year, uh, after 2023. I mean, but that's that's complicated because you're almost in a no-win position with him because he played well enough this year that you're like, okay, you can talk yourself into another couple years of Kirk Cousins. Your 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 floor is always going to be reasonably high with Kirk Cousins. It's just what is your ceiling with Kirk Cousins and but if you're trying to get out of some of this cap situation, an extension would help you in that regard. So, so what do you do? I almost right. think the 13 and four season complicated these decisions. I wrote about that a little bit on Friday. Like if they didn't go 13 and four, if they go something more like eight and nine or nine and eight, like their play suggested they should have gone, some of these are a lot more, at least publicly facing, easier decisions to make. Yeah, well, I just you know I think Kurt had a good season. I think he threw some beautiful balls from start to finish. Um, it didn't work out for various reasons, but um, I think he deserves, you know, to, to stick around for at least one more year. But, uh, you know, and we're looking at a league where, you know, more quarterbacks are starting to play in, the, in their mid to late 30s. And maybe he's one of those guys and they are going to have no choice but to find out. But, yeah, the 13 to four record probably made things a little bit more difficult. Um, I will say this, too. There's a belief that not, not, not next year, but before the. 2024 regular season that the cap's going to take a ceiling's going to be raised significantly. Sure. So like the dead money you may want to push back into that year um, would not be that problematic, that problematic to hold on to. And I also want to remind everybody that, you know, it's the previous regime that created this mess because they were yes. trying to win and save their jobs. And they just said, we'll let, if, we, if it works out great, if it doesn't work out, we'll be fired, and the person who has to follow us will have to deal with it. And that's what Quezzy has on his lap right now. <laughs> yeah, those bills have come due. Um, they certainly have. And you know, I think the yep. I think the the most difficult probably decision from an emotional standpoint would be Thielen, right? He's the guy that's you know he's the the, the Minnesota yeah. State guy. We we know he's the, from Minnesota. He you know rose from being undrafted to being you know really one of the best at his position from like you know 2017, 2018 through maybe 2020. Um, but then, you know, you could see a little bit of a decline in 21 and then a lot of a decline this year. He's just not getting the separation. He's what, 33, I think. I mean, again, all these guys are way younger than us, right. Lavelle, but in, in athlete ages, these are, these are guys who are aging out of their positions a little bit. Dalvin being 
the same, even though he's not nearly as old as some of these other guys. It's it's hard, but Kwesi is also paid to make decisions that, in a lot of cases, take at least most of the emotion out of it. Yeah, you know, and the thing about Thielen, too, is that, you know, in his prime, you know, he had enough speed, but he was a moving clinic in terms of being able to get separation, to get open, hand fighting at the line of scrimmage. He was really adept in doing all that. So when you're seeing a decline in him being able to get open, that means he's he's got nowhere else to go. He can't go up anymore because he already he's already technically sound in the other areas. It's just that he, he doesn't have the speed anymore to to get open or enough speed to get open. So um, so it's it's unfortunate, um, but it's a business. And you got to make the tough decisions. And that's what Quasi's he's getting to pay the big bucks for. It's going to be up to now their scouting and development department to going into the next draft to find guys who can step in and play, which really didn't happen with this draft class uh, this year. Some of it was injuries, but, you know, Lucene did not walk through the door and look and claim a spot. He no. was slowly being worked into the bit. Uh, Caleb Evans looks like a, a guy who can play, but he's had three concussions. That's yeah. going to be a problem going forward. You know, so the scouting the development department, they've they've got to hit a couple home runs with this draft class. Yeah. To fill in some of the spaces on this roster. Well, right now they've only got four draft picks. Now they'll probably get a compensatory pick or two. They can always add a pick or two if they are able to trade down, willing to trade down from their spot in the first round. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's just kind of this awkward space where they need a lot of stuff. They don't have a lot of money. They've got a lot. They're aging out a lot of it, but they're coming off a 13 win season. So what, what exactly, how do they kind of finesse trying to stay in this kind of quote unquote competitive rebuild while also getting younger and better at some spots? I mean, this is really going to be the off season where we find out just how, you know, just what the big plan is that Quasi has. Cause this is, you know, last year they kind of, they kind of said, yeah, let's, let's, they didn't do a ton last year. They kind of did a wait and see last year tried to win with some of the same guys they already had, and it worked to a large degree. They won 13 games. You can't argue with that, even if even if the team I think we've seen um, was not as good as a 13-4 record. I mean, they lost to the Giants. The Giants just got blown out by the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Like This was a team that maybe deserved to make the playoffs but was not a 13-win team in the classic sense of it. All that said, like we've talked about, it's harder to make decisions off of a 13-win season. You probably got pressure from ownership. You got fans saying, yeah, let's keep winning. But if you're going to keep winning two, three, four years down the line, you can't just keep paying all these guys who are on the wrong side of 30. Right. In order to keep them, you got to play with money. And that means you put money down. You kick the can down the road. And eventually you're going to have to pick up the can and figure out a way to dispose of it. And it gets really tough. And then I don't know if any of these guys have any trade value. I mean, if they could get even like a fourth or a fifth round pick for Zadarius, I mean, maybe you have to consider a, a swap or something like that. So, uh, and Shannon Sullivan, I just want him off the roster because he's yeah, bad. he did not have a, he, just, he didn't have a good year. I, I almost, I almost, I almost wrote, wrote the phrase "fire into the sun" with him, but I said oh, that's <laughs> a little harsh. I'm gonna not, yeah. not do that, but it was not good. I when I saw that he, opposing quarterback had a uh, pass rating over 100 against him, I was like, "There's the gaping hole in the secondary." Right? Because then someone with the someone close to the Vikings told me that when he was with the Packers, the Vikings went at him, so they knew. They knew what they were getting when he brought him in. Yeah, that was a questionable decision. <laughs> it was, it was, and they got a lot of big ones to make. Cousins is obviously the biggest one. I mean, it'll be, I'm gonna be fascinated to see what they do if they just kind of, if they ride it out. That'll tell you something about how they feel if they try to do something short term. If they go to him and say, you know what, you're not our guy long term. Let's try to get you somewhere else right now that we'll sign you to an extension and try to trade him this off season. I mean, it's just again. Very complicated, very interesting. I think he played well enough, like you said, to to 
to be here still, but does his window line up with everybody else's window? That's that's going to be the question they have to ask themselves. And, and do they want to get a little bit more athletic, versatile, young and cheap at that spot sooner rather than later? Yeah, exactly. And I, I kind of got the sense because I went to the uh, I went to the end of the season in a yep. media session with Quasi and, and, and Coach O'Connell. And I kind of got the sense they already they already kind of know they're going to approach Kirk about a renegotiation, and make things work. So I just got the sense from those guys. So I think that could be in the works uh, sooner than later. And now, you know, if they get some clarity on that, they can dictate some of the other moves they have to make or maybe not have to make. Yep. That's exactly right. They got to figure that one out first. And then Thielen's got to be a pretty quick decision too, because his money gets pretty quickly guaranteed, right? It started start of the league year in, uh, in early March, right? Right. Yeah, the third day, the third day of the league season, contract becomes guaranteed, and that's a $19 million cap hit. Yeah, I don't think they want to do that. Well, we'll see what they wind up doing. Um, Lavelle will be there to chronicle it. We'll all be there to talk about it. Lavelle, appreciate it as always, and we'll talk, we'll talk to you soon. Anytime, sir. Take it easy. You too. Bye-bye. Great conversation with Lavelle E. the third, as always. A um, couple of postscripts to our conversation. It seems like anytime he and I talk, uh, this is like the third or fourth time this has happened. Something else happens between the time we record and the time this goes live. In this case, two things happen because we talked about the Vikings, we talked about the Twins. Since then, Twins signed, I'm sorry, traded for it. Michael A. Taylor, outfielder for the Royals. Not a great hitter, very good fielder. Interesting that they went after someone who's a very, very good fielder. Gold Glove winner in 2021. Um, they've, got, they've got a really good defensive outfield brewing right now. I just I saw this tweet from Nash Walker. He's covered the Twins in the past for Twins Daily. Wrote, uh, defensive runs saved since 2020, all outfielders. Number one on the list, Michael A. Taylor, the guy the Twins just got with 36. Number two, Joey Gallo with 32. That's the player the Twins signed this offseason. Tied for number three, Byron Buxton with 29. So if you go by that, the Twins might have gotten, might have three, they certainly do have three of the best defensive outfielders in Major League Baseball, and they still have Max Kepler on the roster. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case by the by opening day. He might still be traded, but Max Kepler, also a very good defensive outfielder. So they've got a lot of stuff going for them as teams maybe try to lift the ball more and more and more. They are going to run a lot of things down, and they got themselves some insurance in case Byron Buxton can't play as many games as they hope he can play in center field. Now, the uh, the other piece of this is that the Vikings are in- interviewing defensive coordinator candidates. Vikings tweeted later on uh, on Monday that they completed one of those interviews um, with uh, with Saints co defensive coordinator, defensive line coach Ryan Nielsen. A um, couple other people in the mix, including Brian Flores. That's an interesting one. He's been a head coach before, so that's a, that's a name to watch if he if he remains available and they are interested in interested in him. So uh, so that piece of it is interesting. If if they're if they really are be are going to be able to interview Brian Flores, that would be an interesting hire as well because he is very well respected, very well thought of. So where that winds up is interesting, but they definitely seem like they're going in a much different direction than Ed Donatel. Um, which which would be a good direction to go in based on how 2022 went. Let's finish quick with the cooler. Got to talk Wolves for like one minute because that's all that game deserves. Lost to the Rockets. Rockets were on a 13-game losing streak. Hadn't won since around Christmas time. That's like a month. Wolves were 24-24, a chance to climb over 500. 
And again, this just speaks to the unseriousness of this team. I've used that phrase on Twitter before. I've, I've talked about this on this show. Like, they just, they can't, whenever they play, whenever they have an opportunity to really, you know, just have a clean game against a bad team, it seems like they play down to the level of competition. And it's not just seems like they're four and six this season against the four worst teams in the NBA. That is inexcusable. You cannot be four and six against those teams. You should be, I mean, really, you should be like eight and two against those teams, the worst teams in the league, at least like seven and three. I know things are going to happen. I know Houston played pretty well. I watched some of that game. I know they played pretty well Monday. Maybe you can forgive some of that because I did think Houston played reasonably well. But the Wolves came out completely flat in that game, and they have come out flat against some of these better teams. Give them, I mean, I'm sorry, against some of these bad teams given them a chance, given them a reason to believe. And that is exactly what happened on Monday night. The Wolves got what they deserved. If they had just taken care of business against some of these really bad teams, they would be well over 500 right now and feeling a lot better about their playoff position in the West. But they are not. Rudy Gobert, I thought, played pretty well. But the Wolves still don't look like a cohesive team when he is on the court. This is a consistent problem in addition to playing down to the level of competition. And I don't know where the answer is because we are almost 50 games into the year and nothing has changed. That will do it for today. Good stuff coming up on Wednesday's show. I believe Chris Hine will be joining me for some Timberwolves talk. Sorry to all of you Timberwolves haters out there. But for those of you who want more wild talk on the show, I believe Thursday Sarah McClellan will will join me to talk about the wild give that team a little bit more of its due so equal opportunity this week at least in those two guests thanks again for joining me i'm michael rand back at it again tomorrow